There are two sides to every story. So you need to know what every character is motivated by in every scene. What does each character come into the scene wanting or expecting? What's each character's frame of mind when we enter the scene? Writer Unleashed is for you, a writer who has a story you want to bring onto the page and into the hearts and minds of readers. I'm Nancy Pinuccio, writer, editor, and writing coach. And each week, we'll explore techniques, mindsets, and inspiration for writing stories readers can't put down. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let's begin. You're writing dialogue between your main characters, and it's sounding artificial and contrived. You have no trouble with real life conversation, but on the page, you just can't get your dialogue right. Why is it that we have no trouble speaking in real life, but when it comes to having our characters speak to one another, it comes out banal, flat, or forced? It doesn't sound like real people talking. And that's the point, right? Well, in this episode, I'm going to share some do's and don'ts of great dialogue. And I've distilled it to five main points that I want to leave you with. Story dialogue is a practice, so be patient with yourself. There are some ways to think about dialogue, though, to help you write it better. So I'm going to give you five things to think about when you're writing dialogue, things to avoid, things to do. And by the way, I have a free dialogue worksheet to help you refine your dialogue. You can download it at nancypanuccio.com forward slash dialogue. So let's get started. One of the biggest don'ts and one of the most common things I see with manuscripts is that the dialogue is telling the story. Don't use dialogue to tell the story. Often what gets in the way of a great story is the dialogue is telling the story. Yes, the dialogue should move the story forward, but often the whole story is being told through the characters' conversations with one another. So it's plot told as dialogue. And when this happens, the reader is robbed of the thrill of experiencing the action as it happens. Now, dialogue is action, but it gets super tedious when the dialogue is the only thing where we're receiving the story. And there's usually a lot of excess when the characters are talking about the story rather than acting it out in real time. Now, the purpose of dialogue is not to tell the story, not to do the heavy lifting or to be crafted solely for the reader. Yes, ultimately it's for the reader, but you want to think of the reader eavesdropping on a private conversation between people. I love the feeling of being a fly on the wall and being privy to an intimate conversation between two people. So don't think of dialogue as information you need to impart to the reader. It's not exposition. Now, Exposition isn't bad. Exposition is information the reader needs to go on with the story. 
There's no emotion attached to it, and it's not trying to react. It's simply dispensing information, and that's why it doesn't work in dialogue. Dialogue is a great way to impart something essential about the characters, but the art of good storytelling and good dialogue is to slip information in so the reader registers the information without being aware that they're being told the information. That's one of the most important storytelling skills to master. Particularly with dialogue, you want to be careful not to rely on it too much to feed the reader information. The most obvious way to spot this is when one character is telling another character what that person would most definitely know. An example is a wife telling her husband how long they've been married. Okay, maybe he'd forget exactly how many years, but she wouldn't likely need to explain that to him. Or maybe their oldest son just went off to college two weeks ago. The husband would know that. That kind of dialogue is directed solely for the reader and paradoxically throws the reader out of the story instantly. Often expository dialogue is deflating the suspense and the urge to keep reading to learn more. So number one, Dialogue is a function of character. It's written for your characters, not for them to explain what's happening or to repeat what happened earlier or to tell us what we could learn later more effectively with the characters acting it out. We don't want them just talking about it. That doesn't mean you don't use dialogue to feed the reader essential information, but whatever information you slip in is there to help the reader anticipate what might happen later or tell us something essential about the characters. You want to do it in a way that's not obvious to the reader. So good dialogue has some intrigue and mystery to it. It should never give too much away. It should never tell the story. Now, the way to make the dialogue a function of character is to dig a little deeper before or as you write the dialogue. So think of what each character wants in the scene. What do they want from the other? How is one character withholding or obstructing what the other person wants? For example, early in the memoir, The Glass Castle, there's a restaurant scene between a daughter and her mother. The daughter wants to help her mother, who's homeless, stop being homeless. She offers her money. Her mother rejects her daughter's help. She likes being homeless. She sees it as an act of rebellion against conformity and even challenges her daughter's values. So the daughter wants to help mom get off the streets to quell her own shame and guilt. And mom just wants a good meal. In the opening scene in David Nichols' novel, One Day, Dexter wants to have a one-night stand with Emma, but Emma, who knows his reputation as a playboy, wants to just talk and get to know him. When the dialogue works, each character wants something from the other, and it's being withheld or thwarted. That's what we mean by conflict. It can be playful. The exchange doesn't need to be full of animosity or even be combative. So 
you have to think, how does each character's worldview clash? You can put two people in a room and they will have vastly different takes on the world. So how is each character in the scene different from the other? We're looking for contrasts. That's where the tension is. There are two sides to every story. So you need to know what every character is motivated by in every scene. What does each character come into the scene wanting or expecting? What's each character's frame of mind when we enter the scene? So number one, dialogue is a function of character. Okay, number two, don't try to recreate real life conversation. For example, don't include everything the characters say or would say in a given situation. Often writers will include the whole conversation from start to finish. So we're getting introductions and we're seeing people walk through the door. We get the mundane chit chat. And this is a symptom of trying to make it sound natural. Yes, you want it to sound like real life dialogue, but the way to do that is not to give a transcription of what a real life conversation would sound like. I think it's more compelling to meet characters in the middle of a conversation rather than at the beginning. We don't need the preamble. Or let's say they meet in a bar or a restaurant. Just get to the heart of the matter rather than waste it on things people usually say as a warm-up. We don't need the throat-clearing dialogue. You can always summarize the warm-up conversation that happens before the characters get into the hot-button topic, the hard conversation. In The Glass Castle, in the restaurant scene with her homeless mother, the narrator doesn't recount the entire conversation. She summarizes the parts that tell us something essential about mom, but she doesn't give us the entire conversation. She started talking about Picasso. She'd seen a retrospective of his work and decided he was hugely overrated. All the Cubist stuff was gimmicky, as far as she was concerned. He hadn't really done anything worthwhile after his rose period. Okay, so she summarizes all the throat-clearing dialogue so he can get to the heart of the conversation. I'm worried about you, I said. Tell me what I can do to help. Her smile faded. What makes you think I need your help? So you can summarize the throat clearing parts, but you want to get to the heat relatively quickly. In David Nichols' novel, one day we meet Emma and Dexter with a conversation that's already underway when we enter the scene. I suppose the important thing is to make some sort of difference, she said. You know, actually change something. What? Like change the world, you mean? I tend to like short, snappy dialogue. That's really how people talk in real life. They don't typically go into long soliloquies. They do tend to go off in tangents in real life, but that doesn't work in a story. Dialogue is crafted speech. It's not a transcription of what people would say in real life situations. You never want any mundane dialogue. There is plenty of mundane dialogue in real life, but it has no place in story. The reader will have no patience for that. So 
it's kind of a conundrum, right? It's supposed to sound natural, meaning it contains the rhythm and cadence of real speech, but it's crafted to the needs of the characters in the scene. It's crafted to the needs of the story. So what's each character's agenda? What does each character want from the other? And how are they withholding what the other wants? Okay, number three, don't have too many characters talking in a single scene. Limit the number of characters interacting in one particular scene. Sometimes a writer will give me scenes with multiple characters speaking, and it's hard to keep track of who's who, who's saying what, and what their angle in the scene is. The best dialogue isn't between multiple characters. I think two characters are more compelling than seven. Sure, you can have more than two characters engaged in dialogue, but it's more powerful with less. For example, maybe there's a tense scene between a father and his son, but it's played out at the dinner table with mom and the boy's two younger sisters. They all have something to say that either tries to soften the tension or inadvertently adds to it. Maybe the dialogue shows emotional distance between mom and dad, but the main focus could still be between the father and son. Okay, on to number four. Don't include meaningless gestures. Sometimes writers will give the characters random gestures or things to do to make it more realistic. So a character will take a sip of a drink, for example, or they'll bake a pie. It is a great way to break up the dialogue and make it feel more realistic, but you want to make it relevant. Don't just give them something to do for the sake of giving them something to do while they're having the conversation. Make it relevant. So no meaningless gestures. If he picks up the bottle of Coke to take a sip, but pauses as he takes in the harsh news his wife just told him that she's leaving him, that gesture feels right. But if he were to just randomly take a sip from his Coke, well, that doesn't reveal anything. It's just a meaningless gesture for the sake of a gesture. You want everything to infuse some kind of meaning. For example, going back to the novel One Day, they're in bed, Dexter wants a one-night stand, and Emma wants to talk and get to know him. She's nervous. She's withholding what he wants. So we see him kiss her. Sometimes they're facing each other. Sometimes she backs away from him against the wall. At one point, he shuffles up the bed until his face is a few inches from hers. When he gets uncomfortable with one of the questions she asks, he lights up a cigarette. But none of those gestures are random. They're demonstrating their frame of mind in the moment as the conversation evolves. Okay, last one, number five. Don't forget character thought. Whenever we have a conversation with someone, we're not just talking. We're thinking about what effect we're having on the other person. We're thinking about what we're saying. We're thinking about what we're seeing. We're observing. For example, earlier in the scene between Emma and Dexter, They're talking about their future after university, and she asks him what he thinks his life will be at 40. He turned suddenly and reached for cigarettes on the floor by the side of the bed as if to steady his nerves. 
This is Emma's interpretation, as if to steady his nerves. And then he says, 40 years old, 40 fucking hell. Smiling at his anxiety, she decided to make it worse. So what'll you be doing when you're 40? He lit a cigarette thoughtfully. Well, the thing is, Em, I've given this whole growing old thing some thought, and I've come to the decision that I'd like to stay exactly as I am right now. Okay, and here's where we go deeper into what she thinks about him, but more important, how she feels about Dexter. Dexter Mahew. She peered up at him through her fringe as he leaned against the cheap buttoned vinyl headboard, and even without her spectacles on, it was clear why he might want to stay exactly this way. Eyes closed, the cigarette glued languidly to his lower lip, the dawn light warming the side of his face through the red filter of the curtains. He had the knack of looking perpetually posed for a photograph. Emma Morley thought handsome, a silly 19th century word, but there really was no other word for it except perhaps beautiful. So the next time you read a scene of dialogue, look for where the point of view character is assessing what he or she is saying, what the other person is saying verbally and non-verbally, and how they feel about that person. Now, dialogue is a practice that takes time to master. And to help you practice, I have a free worksheet with five writing exercises. So go to nancypinuccio.com forward slash dialogue to download yours. nancypinuccio.com forward slash dialogue. Okay, let's recap. To make your dialogue sound realistic, number one, Make sure it's crafted for the characters. Ask what each character wants from the other person and let each character withhold it. And let the dialogue show the clashing values and worldviews each character has. That's conflict. Number two, distill the dialogue down to what's essential for the characters to say to one another. What do you want to reveal about them without being direct? Number three, Limit the dialogue to two characters, ideally two characters. It's more intimate, but certainly no more than four or five. Otherwise, it gets unwieldy. Number four, let gestures reveal their state of mind or objective. No wasted gestures, no extraneous gestures. And number five, include your point of view character's thoughts. We never just speak. We're always measuring the other person's responses and motives. We're noticing micro-expressions, gestures, and their appearance vis-a-vis what we want from them. So there you have it. Thanks for hanging out with me today. And if you know any writers who need some support in their writing, please share this episode or the Writer Unleashed podcast in general. And if you love what you're listening to, subscribe on your favorite listening platform and please leave me a review. Reading how this podcast impacts your writing truly lights me up and helps me create topics for the show. Till next time, keep writing and I'll talk to you soon.